is, and it's very easy to hear this comment or to hear no or to hear this and that and think, oh, I should be this way. And in order to be successful, you have to stay true to yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm Marquita Harris, work and money editor for Essence, and welcome to Unbossed, a podcast for entrepreneurs, self-starters, and women who are about their business. It's September, y'all, and on today's episode, on the heels of Fashion Week, I'm going to interview Carly Kushney, the CEO and creative director of Kushney, a luxury women's brand. Maybe you've heard of her. Um, From a young age, you're going to learn that Carly knew what she wanted to be. She had tunnel vision and she was going to be a fashion designer, period. No question. And with the support of her family, the London born and raised Carly moved to New York City as a teen to pursue her dream. But make no mistake, Carly's journey towards success was not a straight and narrow path. Now, quick sidebar. You know when you're at the club and it this always happens out of nowhere. There's always somebody who randomly comes up to you with a clipboard asking for your information to add you to, you know, a bunch of random lists about uh, different parties happening. And, you know, you can never get off of these lists. And anyways, this was Carly. Carly was a clipboard girl in the nightclub for a stint, but she didn't linger there for too long because shortly after that period, she ended up landing some major internships at some of the biggest fashion brands, including the legendary Oscar de la Renta, RIP, before launching her namesake brand with a friend. Now, as a sole owner of Kushni, Carly's success speaks to the fact that anything is possible when you just put in the work. Her designs have been worn by numerous influential black women, such as Forever First Lady Michelle Obama, Lupita Nyong'o, and Ava DuVernay. I'm so excited and just inspired by her determination, especially as a black woman, to keep her luxury brand thriving, especially in an industry that can just be so wishy-washy. I hope you guys enjoy listening to this conversation just as much as I did having it. All right, let's get to it. Um, I like to ask everyone this first, first question, um, who comes on the show, what was your very first job ever? My first job when I came to New York was before that, when you were like a kid, even maybe you didn't have one. That's okay too. But the first thing you ever got paid for, you did something and you got money for it. I think that, I think the first yeah, because I was 18 when I came to New York. So okay. it was, um, yeah, the first real job that I got paid for was, um, yeah, when I was in New York working um, working in a nightclub. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I okay. used to, um, I used to work for this, uh, they used to, th- this company, they used to throw parties and I used to go around the club with a clipboard and get people's information and talk to people. I was actually just paid to talk to people. So that was just really great. <laughs> Yeah. So you had to be social. Like from a very were you like growing up, were you social? Were you very not but I was just like I was just like it's it's a weird thing to just, you know, go up to people in the club and just start talking to them and try and get their information when 
obviously people don't really want to give you their Sorry, information. I was one of those people. <laughs> you know, you're like, <laughs> but like uh, okay, bye. I'm just trying to drink my like my rose or whatever. And what right. do you want? No, exactly. <laughs> but I had to fill up my um, my chart of a certain amount of names okay. and then names and emails so that these people could get invited to next parties and whatever. And then I could party the rest of the night. So oh. I needed to do that as quickly as possible so, so I could party. <laughs> so, so I could enjoy could party the rest. On. Yeah. And you were 18. I was. I was. Night, yeah, I was 19. 19. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So was this the first time you... Okay, so let's back up. <laughs> you were born and raised in London. Yes. Touched on that a little earlier. Um, what? How did you get to the United States? What was the mission or the catalyst for that? I had... Um, so I had a sister who lived in D.C. And um, I had come over one summer to spend some time with her and we came to New York for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And um, I really, I had, I had talked to my parents a little bit about coming to New York okay. for university and they weren't really having it because both my two older <laughs> sisters were already in the States and they were like, what is it with America? Oh, wow. Like, why do we have to lose all our daughters <laughs> to the United States? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, so when I went, so when I went to New York with my sister, we went and looked at FIT and at Parsons okay. and I went to Parsons like, oh my God, I love it. It would be so amazing to be here. And also where I was from like a lot of my friends were going off to different parts of England to go to university Got whether okay. whether they were going off to Leeds or Manchester or up to Edinburgh um you know they were getting a different experience and getting away from you know what they, they were from yeah, yeah and I felt that I wouldn't get that experience okay. going to university in London mm -hmm. which don't get me wrong there's amazing design totally. schools in London but. and but for me I felt like it was important especially at that age to you know get a new perspective see something new and you know open your eyes a little bit and be on your own definitely um so that was one of the reasons I really wanted to come to New York it's a big move at what age but I mean I guess you had your like some family here yeah and so and then it ended up that my other sister ended up joining me in New York and she did her masters in NYU while I was at Parsons oh that's a big so it was nice yeah, that we were good. both there together um but yeah it was it was was something that was really exciting to me and just really being in, you know, somewhere new and, and it really makes you grow up. Definitely. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> Oof, that's reminding me because I, I didn't go very far, but I went from Michigan to Chicago, which is just two and a half hours. But I do remember, um, I remember growing, going abroad for the very first time and like, Grew up real quick, mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> extremely quick. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I want to know more about what when you were younger, growing up. Like, did you always have an interest in fashion, or was it something that did it for you? A designer, a moment. Was your mom into fashion? How? What was your What's your backstory with that? I had always, from a young age, always wanted to go into fashion. It was always that's always what I wanted to do. I never remember wanting to do anything else. Mm. I had always sketched from a young age. And so I always sketched dresses and outfits and whatever, and try, would try and make things. And everything I did was always sort of geared towards doing that. I even, um, my, 
my uh, my A level exams that I did. Um, and I okay, A levels are is that high? That's like SATs. SATs. Yes. Okay. So, For those that don't know, this is <laughs> sorry. Yes. UK UK speak. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, and so my art A levels were very fashion based as well. So I always was sort of in, sort of on the path of always of of going into going into fashion, always wanting to make that, um, always wanted to follow that direction. Yeah. Were your parents supportive? Yeah, they were actually. I mean, neither of them were in fashion. My dad was in finance. My mom had, had done all different things her life. She had been a model. She'd acted and sang and done a bunch of things. And so, um, um, but she was always a very creative person and she had, you know, amazing style when she was younger and so, and I still was, does. Like I was wondering. <laughs> um, yeah, usually there's, I always feel like there's, I don't know, a stylish auntie, if it's not a mom or just somebody <laughs> who kind of, who you connect with as a kid maybe. And, or even if it's a designer that you kind of have a fascination with as a kid, there's always, there's always something. No, absolutely. Got it. So yeah. they were supportive, which is good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Tell me about you were you went to Parsons in NYC and Paris. Yeah, so before before I moved to New York, I went to I went to France for almost a year basically and I was studying French and then I also went to Parsons Paris just to take some initial classes yeah. and um and just learn a bit more before coming to New York. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What do you think that um was it like, how essential was it for you to kind of get that degree and get that experience? I mean, is it, do you think you would have been able to launch a brand without having that kind of straightforward background and education? I mean, there are a lot of people who are designers today who didn't, ha- who don't have a background yeah. in actual design in actual fashion design. I, I do, I personally do think it's important in terms of just really understanding how, how, how fabric works, mm-hmm. how, how, how to make a pattern, how to do certain things, how to, how certain things about the business work. And I think that I think it makes me a better designer in terms yeah. of how I understand, you know, fabric manipulation or how things work around the body. And the I think that, I yeah. think that's important. There's stuff, you know, obviously, <laughs> you know, I'm not sewing anything now, but you know, there have been times earlier on that, um, you know, I've had to, you know, sew things or couldn't afford to send embroideries to, to India. So, okay, gonna have to sit and do this myself. Um, so I think it's important to be able to, to, um, to know how to do certain things. You also understand the value. Yeah. Um, so did you get a good, um, I'm very, I'm always really curious about people who have creative pursuits, because I think often there's not a broader discussion about, I guess, the business side about, and I think um, I've heard so many stories about entrepreneurs, you know, setting out whether it's fashion design or, you know, whether they're, they want to become actors or something and they get a little challenged by some of the, the business, the money side. So I want to know, did they, did you get a lot of, the business kind of experience with pursuing that degree did, or was this kind of like, oh, we're going to launch a business and then you kind of had to figure it out. I mean, I can't speak to how Parsons is right now, but yeah. I, when I was there, the, the business side was not, was not the best. Okay. It, it really, it was lacking at the time okay. in terms of just 
understanding what you need to do to to start a business, even just things you need to apply for, whether it's this license or this, you know, identification number or this, you know, just all those things that you would consider basic. Um, we're not we're not taught um and I don't think you really learn that without sort of really sort of getting into the industry a little bit Uh, I did I felt like I learned a lot more of just the day-to-day of running a business from my internships ah, okay so that was pretty crucial yeah that was really crucial and also from mentors and I think like so for instance, I interned, a couple of the places I interned at was like Prenza Schooler and Oscar de la Renta, two completely different. Definitely. Um, Oscar de la Renta, you know, so much of it is in-house. Um, you know, it's it's what you, it's it's the fashion dream. Definitely. It's what you, you know, the women working there are in beautiful dresses and, and in heels. <laughs> and at the time, um, Mr. De La Renta would be walking around the offices, sometimes singing and Aww. always in a suit. And so, and everybody loved him. And it yeah. was like, it was, it was a very beautiful experience. Okay. Um, and Proenza. And Proenza, it was, um, it was, you know, earlier on in, in the, in the, business and they had an office downtown in Chinatown and this sounds very what to wait when was this uh early, like 2004 this was, a, was, a six, five, six. Five, six? Yes, first six. five six years of 2000 <laughs> somewhere in there but yes. I do remember like when they were everywhere of course like Oscar like iconic legendary American brand but I do remember when like when it was like hot like everyone wanted you right. know no stuff. absolutely when yeah. I was when I was at Oscar de la Renta one of the girls said to me you know you shouldn't take this as your first job because <laughs> she's like it's way too easy <laughs> <laughs> okay so you got I was like, okay because at yeah. Prenza um, they you know we're in Chinatown I interned there one summer and it was so hot. I was going to say, I know it was hot because it, no one, including people who live in Chinatown, <laughs> I've had friends and things live. Nobody has air. No, it was, like the, <laughs> so. I remember specifically the AC used to turn off every 10 minutes and one of the interns had to go and switch it back it's on. Like, and then they used to, at the time they used to produce a lot of, um, uh, most of their collection in Midtown. So it was schlepping back and forth between mm. Chinatown to the garment district. But it was doing that was just was a great experience because I met so many of uh the factory owners in in New York that I still today work with wow so that when I you know when I when I started making the collection and making samples you know I I went to them and said hey do you remember me I used to sit here and wait for Parenza samples yeah um they're like oh of course could you you know could you do some samples or do this very small lot of production or whatever. And, um, it was great because they knew my face. They remembered me and it's like, okay, um, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, um, you know, try you out. And cause it's taking a risk on, you know, for them, these factories. I just love this. that you were an in like, I mean, you had those connects from, you know, being an intern. No, but so. that's the thing. Like, I think so many, so many young people today, especially I feel like, think that doing internships you're not doing enough because you're just you know oh you're just getting coffee or you're you know running this errand or making photocopies and sometimes sometimes just being there (laughs) it's a big deal yeah you're just hearing what's going on and listening and seeing and seeing what decisions people are making and what whether they you know if this happens you know what happens to that and you know trying to um troubleshoot some problem um no experience like real no like the absolutely. real experience you know you're yeah. learning you like 
where to buy fabric from, fa you know, uh, totally. and all of that stuff. So um, it was it was so crucial to starting the business. So let's talk about when you started the business. Mm -hmm. You were um, just out of school, right? Yeah. And I know you initially launched with a friend. Yes. Um, you were 24. Four? Did, my, yes. did I do my math right? Yes. 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 <laughs> so um, you were 24 and you launched a pretty much a luxury fashion business from the start. Yeah. How did you do that? <laughs> Please tell me that story in less than, you know, less than a couple minutes now. But how did you launch? Um, and what year was this? In 2008? Yes. So that was the, obviously the worst wow. year to launch. That's, um, that's not insane because clearly it, you know, it Well, worked, it was kind of insane. <laughs> and it was, you know, just a little bit of, you know, blind naivety, you know, just because I think being young at that time, I think... You've just got a little bit more balls, yeah. Um, and and launched um, a collection that September two thousand and eight, and then literally the whole world fell apart. That, yes, that, yes. that fall um, immediately. The whole jobs, uh, yeah. And it was just like, <laughs> oh my god, what yeah. are we going to do? But um, Bergdorf. Okay. Somehow, Maraxi picked us up and we were exclusive to Bergdorf's and they oh. were our exclusive retailer and we were really lucky. We had, um, while, um, while I was at Parsons and we were doing our senior thesis, um, there's, you present your senior thesis to uh, a panel of judges, of industry judges. Okay. And so Linda Fargo ah, of, of Bergdorf, Bergdorf. Yeah. Um, she had, she had sat on, on my, on, on my, um, presentation as well as my, uh, business partner's pr presentation. And we kept in contact with her throughout our sort of process of starting the business. And, um, and sort of, you know, sort of kept her up to date and what we were thinking and, you know, if we had any questions and she was, she was there, she was super supportive. Yeah. She really liked both of our collections. And so, um, so I want to know, I, I like numbers. I like, um, I like money <laughs> conversations, clearly working money editor, but, um, what do you mind telling, like how much capital did you need to launch? You know, when you, that initial launch at least, did you put in a lot of your own money? Were you able to get people to invest outside? So it was really, it was really just both our families at the time okay. putting in money because it was, there was no, you know, so they trusted you. So you, yes, okay. because, and then after that to get additional money was even more impossible because, already... because of the, the state of everything, everything. Okay. Um, so after, you know, and that's, and for so long, um, the company was so small, uh, it, How it, small? it was from two to four to six, like at one point it was like six people up until, wow. up until 2015. And people were like so surprised, like, oh my God, you any I was like, we couldn't afford to hire any more people. Um, you know, if you want to have a successful business and and to, you know, to actually be selling clothes and, and making some money. Um and and yeah, it was <laughs> it, it was a so crazy time. Doing, but so there were six people that you had, you know, six people in this company mm. and you guys were doing two collections a year or four, 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 four yeah, collections because, because right, at, the mid, yeah, because you have to do the resort and the pre-collections. And to be honest, 
we started doing the pre-collections much earlier than we'd even planned. We thought, okay, we'll do. We had planned out when we would start yeah. um, doing but the, demand the was. but the department stores were we were in we're just like well no we would like we would like some small collection otherwise you're going to be your moved off the floor right (laughs) so if you've got no clothes there you're going to be moved off the floor and then you know every time a customer comes she's not going to see you for you know a a a whole whole season so you're like god okay so you've got to you know so we put very small sort of capsule collections together for the pre-collection sort of uh, repeat styles maybe in new colors and okay. then like a few fresh pieces just to spruce it up yeah. um and then eventually it became full-fledged collections so you're doing four collections a year just to make sure that there's new product i mean now you know on top of that you know i also do the odd exclusive collection yeah. on top of that for for certain retailers Got it. um and so but you have to everybody wants something new all the so time. Easy to think about. So, do you think the pressures that are put on designers now, um, especially starting out, does it feel? It sounds like they just need four. They need to be in a position where if they're going to launch a company, um, they're going to have this brand that they need to be in a position kind of right off the bat to do four collections a year. That sounds like a- that's tough. I mean, I think I think it's. I mean, it is hard to just off the bat to do yeah. four like if they want to be in those big retailers i'll say that right because i know you can definitely exist mm-hmm. in a different there's a lot of different lanes but if you're d- going to do a luxury business and survive it sounds like it i think it's more important now to make sure that you have a presence online and mm-hmm. that you could you can sell direct to consumer okay i think that's more important because then at least you're at least you have an immediate understanding of your customer you can see you can start to see her buying patterns, what she's liking, what's not resonating with yeah. her much faster than you're going to get feedback from stores. And, and at least then you're, you're, you're getting a greater margin there. Um, and you know, I, I didn't launch, um, e-commerce until 2016. That's what I was gonna ask uh, and what was that like? Like, I mean, that's kind of a completely different, obviously by then, 2016, I'm sure you've shopped, you had shopped online, so you knew what to expect, right. but still just to have um, the infrastructure in place and to know, I don't know, what, how many employees you need to do that to make sure um, you're hiring the right people for the right jobs. Was that difficult in the beginning or? Um, yes, it was difficult because it's, it's, I mean, it was something new, yeah. like, I knew clothes, but just the whole mechanics of of e-com. of ecom and making sure it it works correctly and having you know the customer service is so important with that, um, you know, and just the whole logistics logistics of the whole machine working correctly, even down to how lo- how long does it take to load on your phone, yeah, you know, definitely it, because, because you're gonna lock, you're you, gonna exit out, you're yeah, not gonna buy anything from Cushney um, so, if it yeah, <laughs> it doesn't load quick. <laughs> it's true, you know, people get you know tired very quickly, uh, lose their interest yeah. very very quickly. So um, you you need to captivate people um, as quick as you can because there's so much out there and that people are being bombarded with stuff. I mean, when I started, there was no Instagram. Yeah, uh, yeah which is crazy to think about now. But right? Yeah. It's, yeah. So. <laughs> so what was the turning point in your business? Because I do, like, I remembered, I knew that about you because um, a friend of mine told me about this brand, that this amazing brand that was launching in 2008. But I do know that I was just in a position because of the work I did. I knew about you guys and I knew, you know, knew who you were. But 
it seems like there was a turning point where Cushing was everywhere. Like I just remembered seeing it mm. covered in all the media, you know, just mm-hmm. it, there was something, and I don't know, like, was it when you guys dressed Michelle Obama? That's what, what I what think was, was the turning point. That was, okay. So no, first time was, <laughs> I think it was in 2012. And that was, um, that was the Christmas in Washington taping. What and was she, that dress? It was a green dress. Okay. Um, crisscross at the front okay okay. um and so that started to be the turning point because for me as well I was we were just so excited that her stylist had reached out to us and said okay um she this is I like these silhouettes from the last collection want to create something unique but based on these ideas and it was just an amazing like okay amazing that you want something from from us, just because historically the first lady had always worn, you know, Oscar de la Renta mm-hmm. and Carolina Herrera. So I never even imagined that happening. Yeah. You know, I didn't think that that was going to be in my trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just, that was an amazing in itself. And then after that, um, my VIP dressing started to really pick up. Okay. And that's what really. Did that really like, you know. Be straight. Like, did it help your business a lot? It was huge because, you know, it was at the time we're also really deciding whether to have to get additional PR in LA. Mm. You already have, we're already paying for PR in New York. Do you get additional, spend more money? And you're just like, oh my God, like (laughs) this is just like, how much money am I going to spend on this? And then we did a trial period for a few months and just noticed how much of a difference just having like a presence there because, you know, we still weren't as well known yet. So it was just really, you know, and so then it was people discovering it and then coming back and wearing it over and over again. Okay. And that, um, and that was really, really great. Got so, it. and because, and because I've been known so much for, for sort of my cocktail dresses and things like that, mm-hmm. that it was perfect for a red carpet. Perfect. And, um, Michelle looked amazing. Thanks. Not just saying. <laughs> and I think the dress I was remembering, it, it was the SP where yeah. it had that amazing neckline. I almost wish I was being video because I'm like doing <laughs> hand motions, but like that amazing neckline where it was those angles and like she just looked fantastic yeah. and just very much like oh, that's my first lady, you know. So. It was amazing because it was her first um, public appearance after they'd after left everything after yeah. they'd left office. Forever first lady, yeah. yeah. So it was incredible. Yeah. What was that? Um, I, what is it like dressing? At least when she was a first lady, what is everything super secretive? Do you have to sign like NDA? Like, what is that whole experience like? Um, it's or is it mostly just working with the stylist? And it's like, mostly kind of working with the sty- stylist and, and and working um, to you know to create whatever look that they're looking for for the particular event mm-hmm. and making sure that everything it you know fits her perfectly based on her measurements and based on you know what's appropriate okay. for wherever she's going and Got that it. kind of thing because okay. there's obviously like neckline restrictions yes. and and things yeah. like that um so 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 yeah but you know and you never know if she's definitely going to wear it or not until it comes out right it's like they'll say like oh she's 90 percent sure gonna wear it but you know there's there's always that you know (laughs) something might change yes um so in our september issue september 2019 um we had 
the pre-interview, I'll kind of say. And I remembered you said a comment about um, one of the challenges being a black woman designer, especially in the luxury space, is you often can get pigeonholed mm-hmm. for and people will think that you're going to have a certain kind of aesthetic or um, and I'm assuming that also probably means they think you're going to do business in a certain way. Or can you get into some of is, was there ever an experience where you felt pigeonholed as a black woman designer? It's funny because I was actually talking about this recently and it was a little bit more in the early days, but it still does happen mm-hmm. today if if people are not familiar with my brand. Yeah. So um, I was telling this story about how I was at the house of um, a celebrity client that um, has has been a, a great supporter of my brand and I was meeting people at at her place and I met someone and I was talking to them and she was just like oh how do you know the host and um I was like oh well she's been a fantastic supporter blah blah yeah. blah and I was like I'm a designer and she was just like so you um a designer in Brooklyn <laughs> and I was just like why, why do I have to be a designer, be a designer in Brooklyn? Um, <laughs> um, yeah. And so I was just, I was taken aback a little bit. Yeah. Um, I was like, no, New York. Um, just, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a sis. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all. Okay. Um, so okay. there were things, there's things like that that yeah. happen that sometimes you don't even notice at first. And then you're like, wait a minute. In hindsight, yeah. you think about it. And yeah. Stew, right? Yeah. Or just, yeah. <laughs> it's like. Or just how they refer to the brand or just, or are they, or is it, is it, um, is it a color thing? Is it an age thing? Is it, you know, yeah. because when I also started, I was young and Definitely. it's, and it's this. And you're still down, young. You're yes. still young. Still young. I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, just I me, mean, it's this downtown brand. And it's just like, well. I have a lot of uptown women who buy it at Bergdorf. It's not necessarily for this um, down to what I'm not even sure yeah, what that means. Exactly. Especially in 2019. Yeah. If, I don't know. That feels like 90s. Yeah. Or urban like. <laughs> or weather, you know, yeah, just those little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I did, I was speaking with a friend who uh, she, I can't remember what brand she works for, but she used to do a lot of design and she would always get tired of people referring to her um, or asking her like, Oh, like, you know, what's your aesthetic and is it urban because she's a black woman. So yeah. you automatically get put into that where people think that, you know, the, whatever you're designing, it's going to fit into that box, whatever that even looks like or means, especially in 2019. Right. But I do, um, is there any advice you have for anyone out there who is trying to, um, especially for black women, because we do get pigeonholed a lot. Um, and we do come, we're not a monolith. We have a lot of different experiences and different aesthetics and different, we come from different backgrounds. Do you have any advice for women who feel like they're being pigeonholed and how they can fight back against that? I think you can only stick to your guns and stick to your own aesthetic and just, you have to ignore the noise a little bit because especially in an industry like fashion, there are so many opinions and there's, and it's very easy to hear this comment or to hear no, or to hear this and that and think, Oh, I should be this way. And in order to be successful, you have to stay true to yourself and you have to be able to shut out some of that negativity and shut out that noise. Um, because you will only, you'll, only succeed if 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 you believe in yourself because no one's going to believe in yourself as until you believe in yourself yeah you know so um so yeah I think you have to you have to stick to your guns fair 
Um, so 2018 mm. was a 10 year anniversary, 10 year anniversary of the brand, right? Right. Okay. Um, and you did become the sole owner. Yes. Um, what, what made you, why, did, how did that happen? And what made you decide that it was time? Was it like mutual between you and Michelle or like, how did that work? And what changes have happened since? It was definitely something that was a long time coming. It had, you know, I think, you know, when you start a brand with someone, uh, you know, 10 years ago, it's now 11 years, um, you, you change, you change as a woman, you change as just as a human, as, as you, as you change in your careers. And I think that, you know, we were both on one path together and, um, that path was just no longer aligned as, as the years progressed. So, um, so I, so yes, in 2018, I took the brand forward and I, and it was really about sort of the aesthetic is still, it's it's still very, it's, it's still cushiony. It's still cushiony. It's <laughs> yes. still very rooted in um in in what it was, but I think it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more sensual. It's a little bit more fluid. I think it's a little bit more uh, laid back and a little freer than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's 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 something of a new new chapter for the brand, a new chapter for me, and um, I been really happy with the response that I've been that I've gotten from from just from the press the media and you know critics about the collections going forward and that's been something that's really important to me as well as you know just further growing my business um and taking it in the direction that I want it to and what's that can you talk about that direction like what what are some newer things that maybe um that have changed I guess over the last year just um, in terms of, for instance, um, I did I did launch bags back in um, while the, the while we were still um, in partnership, and then we took I took a pause and relaunched it in a direction that I felt um, uh, was closer to my heart and the direction that I really wanted it to go okay. in, as well as um, as well as last year I launched um, Bridal as well, and oh, that's that, huge. Yeah, yeah, and that was something huge. that was really exciting to me because um, I've done I've I've done the odd custom thing here and there for either friends or um, celebrities, but I've never you, never done like obviously bridal full-fledged bridal and but there have been friends who've worn certain pieces in white and for yeah for, for their like weddings. for their weddings for the either their actual weddings or civil or their second dress yeah. or so I wanted to create pieces that could encompass all of that okay. so whether you're buying something whether it's you're buying it for your actual dress or your second dress or one of the many activities over your whole <laughs> yes. wedding extravaganza yeah. and speaking of like <laughs> weddings and um isn't it much more there's a lot more things that happen with the pre-wedding situations and um like if you're in the UK and like from there right like I just feel like I've heard I all I know is this when any of my friends are getting married they're from the UK it just seems like a so much more fun it does and it also seems like there's just all of these 
just different events leading up to it. Um, I don't know. Like, isn't there? Really? I no, no, I so. think it's more here because like half is of it? my friends had not even heard of bridal shower. So you have. <laughs> Wait, isn't it called something else? Like the something hen, like, like hen, hen, hen party is okay. like it's like a bachelorette. So it's like a. Sorry, <laughs> getting into like Brit speak and yeah. all that. Right so now, bachelorette yes. is your hen party, okay. and then a bridal shower is that more sort of like chill, okay. like like tea and gifts yes. right so um uh, maybe that's what it was it's just the idea <laughs> of something being called a hen party which it just sounds like fun it yeah. just sounds like something way more fun than bridal shower way more um, debaucherous <laughs> yes that's what it is <laughs> okay so so that's amazing and also it's i also know correct me if i'm wrong since you launched the company you became a wife a mother. Yeah. Life has changed significantly Absolutely. <laughs> since you were 24. Yeah. Um, has that, especially like you became a mom this year. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Was it, wait, boy or girl? Girl. girl. Yeah. How has that impacted like your work life and like, has it impacted it at all? I mean, I mean, having a child changes everything. Yeah. It changes, changes your whole brain, everything, your whole brain, your heart, everything. But it, I'm I'm fortunate because it is my company. I do have somewhat of a flexible schedule, but at the same time, but at, then at the same time, it is my company. So I do need to be there for you know a lot of a lot of decisions, and yeah. I'm needed for a lot of different aspects of the company. Um, so I did. I took three months off, but okay. I was coming. But I, I'm sure you're still looking at emails. I, yeah, still. but and and <laughs> after the second month, I came in twice a week, but I just brought her with me. Yeah, and uh, you're you know you're in the very least. Yeah, I mean, I you know I'd come in for like a few meetings, fittings, or whatever, and then and she came with me, and it was great, and it was kind of and. My office is not that huge now. I think there's there's 16 of us. Um, right. So it's not... Congratulations. No you. longer six. <laughs> no longer six. <laughs> um, and so... And so, but it's, it's, you know, it's an office mainly full of women mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, it's fun having a little baby girl in there yeah, every now and fine. again. I still, I still do bring her into work a little bit so that I can, um, spend as much time with her because, you know, they just, they change so quickly. So, yeah. Okay. So I do love to ask everyone, mm -hmm. um, how would you define the word unbossed mm -hmm. as the name of the podcast is <laughs> and also, um, what woman in your life would you describe as being a boss? So first, give me the give me your definition. Um, I think s s uh, the definition of unbossed to me sort of conjures up someone who doesn't follow the rules, someone who creates their own path to their success, um, someone very much who's a creative thinker, thinks outside of the box very um very unapologetically them and um and yeah and I think doesn't back down easily okay yeah who's like that who, who has think, those characteristics <laughs> um I would say someone who I find who's someone I actually met recently um who I find very inspiring is um Bozama St. John yes I mean she is just we love her yeah. She's just a force and she's just so magnetic when she speaks, when uh, it's, she's just captivating. Yeah. And, and that's obviously why she has become so successful, but she's so unapologetically herself. And she said in the past that she's 
um, you know, she's been told um, to tone down her look um, in a, you know, while working in a very sort of male dominated yeah. industries. Buttoned up environment. Yeah. yeah. And she's, and she, her response has always been, well, you know, you liked me in the interview. This mm. is how I am. This is what I said I can do for you. Like, I need to be myself yeah. in order to bring these things to the table that I said I can do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of women don't have those balls to be able to do that and take that risk and, um, um, and I think, you know, she's an amazing woman. This takes a lot of courage. Yeah. Especially absolutely. like these very corporate conservative. Uh, yeah. Right. When it's just, you know, definitely a lot of men and they're yeah. just, you know, a little yeah. bamboozled by you or bamboozled. Is a <laughs> just like, hey, why? like what, why, you know, I, cause I've definitely been the person that has, I've always worn super large hoops. I don't have them on today. I have some different earrings, but because I have big hair yeah. and, you mm-hmm. know, the hoops, you can see them. <laughs> but I've definitely been in situations where I've um, had a boss or something remark on, like, my hoop earrings. It's like, really? That's what you're worried about? It's like, crazy. all the things? <laughs> yes. So where can people learn more about Kushni and get updates and all of that jazz? Um, on the Kushni website and on the Kushni Instagram. All right. And what's the Kushni is- Instagram? Just so people know for it's sure. It's just Kushni. C- that's C-U-S-H-N-I-E. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> um... Thank you guys so much for tuning in and a special thank you to Carly. Email me at unboss at essence.com. Tell me about a woman in your life who inspires you to be unbossed. Or if you don't want to email, comment on social media using the hashtag unboss podcast. And please, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Say nice things. Say constructive things, please. Okay. See you guys later.